the leopards would just jump up and, you know, bite my fat roll back here and just, like, pull my pants off. I'm like, guys. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Raw Safari Podcast. I'm going to keep the intro short this week as I'm bringing you two Keeper Chats instead of one. Real quick, though, don't forget to check out www.rawsafari.com, at Rossafari on all the social media platforms, patreon.com slash Rossafari to support the pod, and rossafari.redbubble.com for show merch. Also, just a quick note, this episode features not one, but two naughty words. One usage of the H word, and one usage of the S word, and I don't mean sword. For the second week in a row, I'm back in Connecticut at the only AZA-accredited zoo in the state, the Beardsley Zoo. I spent time talking to Chris Sparker and Bethany Thatcher, who are two of the keepers who take care of the big cats at Beardsley. This episode is focused on what goes into taking care of the Amher tigers and Amher leopards that live at the zoo, including cubs of both species that have been born there within the last few years. Chris and Bethany work together, but also bring two different perspectives to their job, so it was cool to hear two different people talking about the same position. These interviews were recorded outside at the zoo while socially distanced and wearing masks, so thank you in advance for being understanding about the sound issues that come along with those circumstances. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Chris Barker, followed by my interview with Bethany Thatcher. about who you are, where we are, and what animals you work with. Uh, my name is Chris Barker. I'm one of the animal care specialists, and we are currently on one of the uh, access roads across from our Emmer Leopard exhibit. Um, it's the service road that leads up to behind the White Nape Crane exhibit and our North American River Otter exhibit. Um, and I take care of Emmer tigers, Emmer leopards. Um, eventually, once we have otters back, North American River Otters, White Nape Crane, uh, an aviary with a couple of bird species in it, uh, turtles, alligators, eagle, and fox. Is that all? <laughs> That's awesome. Currently, That must be really great to get to work with so many different species. That's one of the, uh, I would say, and I'm saying this without ever actually having experienced it, I would say that's one of the perks of working at a smaller zoo as opposed to a bigger zoo. Mm-hmm. So there, there may be like three or four or eight keepers per area, and they may be much more hierarchical so maybe some of the more senior staff gets to work with more animals or um they conversely get a little bit more time to spend one-on-one with with the individual animals right Um, but i mean here we get to work with a a wide variety of animals and because we're a small zoo help out in other areas so work with animals that we don't necessarily work with every day or help with annual exams or animal moves or exhibit construction and design and, and stuff like that so that's pretty cool cool that's awesome um, that must be really rewarding. Um, so as far as the, the Amur tigers and leopards, um, in case people don't know, why are they called Amur? It's not because they're related or anything. Uh, it's a geographical description. Um, so 
Amur tigers used to be called Siberian tigers. Okay. And that's not geographically accurate because Siberia is at the north of Russia, and where they live is the south of Russia, the north of China. So the Amur River um, forms a border between Russia and China. Uh, so it's just more geographically correct. And the, the Amur leopards, at least historically, lived in that area too. Now they're a little bit more isolated um, and for mostly cry, uh, which is has some border with it, but their their range is nowhere near what it was. Gotcha. And that's true in general. Uh, Amur leopards are almost extinct in the wild, right? Um, Amur leopards, their numbers were down to about 35, they think. And now, at least with um, new national parks, like Land of the Leopard National Park in Russia, they believe that the wild population in Russia is around 100. Which is amazing. And that comes from conservation efforts, mostly, Conservation right? efforts. Um, they do things like... Um, Increased ranger patrols. Um, they, one of the biggest ways it helps is they uh, block off logging roads because there's poaching for Amur leopards as well as Amur tigers, but that's not their biggest issue. It's habitat loss and then, of course, uh, the loss of the prey base. Right. Um, and then they also saw a decline. There used to be large deer farms in that area of China. And the Amur leopards wouldn't be adverse to helping themselves with a free lunch. Yeah, it's a buffet so, at that point. Uh, the deer farms... Um, went on the decline, so that was a, a free prey source that, that left, too. Gotcha. Um, Interesting. Very cool. Um, so, talk me through the uh, the leopards and then the tigers that you have here, um, as far as, like, names and any interesting characteristics, like, personalize them for us. Uh, so, we have our adult female Amur leopard, Freya. She's eight years old. Um, she came to us from uh, Copenhagen in Denmark. Uh, she came over with her brother. Um, her brother moved relatively shortly after we got them to San Diego, okay. where I believe he's become a father at least once or twice. Um, and then she stayed here. She eventually got partnered up with a male from Denver, and they uh, they sired two. Well, they sired three cubs. Um, but due to complications, um, we had to pull and hand raise, and only two ended up surviving. Okay. Um, so the two that survived are uh, Orion, our male, and Callisto, our female. Um, and Callisto's pretty unique because she is a melanistic Amur leopard. She's one of two in the country. Wow. The only other one is at San Diego. And this is a uh, color morph that should not exist in Amur leopards. Why is that? Um in the wild population of Amur leopards, um, the genetics for melanism don't exist. Um, when the founder population for this species was created, they believed that there was a male who was from the North China leopard subspecies. So they believed the genes came in from him. Okay. Um, so they are not, quote, purebred Amur leopards. Um, the only downside to that is that the Russians are doing all the wonderful conservation work, don't want any... Um, genetics brought back into country or or potentially into the wild that have this um, gene. Right. So we would be trying not to perpetuate this gene in, in the managed um, collections. Um, and that was one of the biggest questions we got asked, like, oh, you know, she's melanistic. Are you going to breed her for that? And, and that's one of the biggest things between accredited zoos and, and some of these non-accredited facilities is we don't breed for color morphs and we don't breed unless we can find a home for them. So we're not just breeding indiscriminately. Right, right. So there's a whole bunch of people that get paid a lot more than I do that make all these decisions to see <laughs> who should be paired with whom and where and 
how have you had success doing it and and all these other factors that I don't even want to think about because fortunately somebody else gets to. <laughs> and for those listening, that's the um, AZA SSP, which we've talked about a lot and on the, the podcast and the already. Feel it tag. And what is that? The FILA tag, the Tax and Advisory Group. Oh, I've never heard of that. Would you? Could you tell me a little bit about that? The Tax and Advisory Group. I think they help to advise the SSP. Okay. A little bit, so they're the ones um, that do it by tax, obviously. So FILA Tax and Advisory Group will be Amur leopards, Amur tigers, any of the cat species that have a managed population. Right. Um, they also create um, the husbandry manuals. For them, there isn't a husbandry manual for all species yet, but the Felid Tag did create a husbandry manual for tigers, um, which is available. You can find it on the uh, AZA website. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So if you look under the animal care thing, I think they've got um, husbandry manuals. I'm not sure if you can download them all right now, um, but I've, I've perused it on, on that website. Well... I am, uh, you know, in the middle of, of quarantine and COVID and all that stuff, so I, I know what I'm going to be reading. That's oh, yeah, really cool. A, no, thanks for that there's info. There's a whole bunch of very long and dry articles for you to power through, I'm sure. <laughs> Excellent. I look forward to that. I'm currently in the middle of reading a um, a textbook about red pandas because they're my favorite species. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in that nerd life. It's... <laughs> yeah. Um... Cool. So that's the the uh, the Those leopards. Are the Yammer leopards. Yes, All and right. then um, oh, and real quick, since we're not doing this as a video, uh, when you say melanistic, um, what does she look like? Melanistic. Uh, I don't want to have to use the phrase. I really don't want to have to use the phrase, but I'm going to have to use the phrase. <laughs> um, melanistic is more inaccurately referred to as panther. So from a distance, they look solid black, but up close, you can still see the, the rosette pattern on her. Right. It's just that the fur in between the rosettes is darker. Okay. Um, so the term panther is a non-species specific term right. that is generally used to describe a melanistic cat, most often a melanistic leopard or jaguar, but can be assigned to a few of the other species of cats that are melanistic, with one notable exception, which is the Florida panther, which is a subspecies of mountain lion, which is not black. Okay, that's incredible. That's... Conversely, if anybody is a fan of the 1982 movie The Beastmaster, <laughs> it, it has the black tiger in it. Um, tigers do not have the genes for melanism, so they had to dye the tiger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this just became my favorite interview. So thank you for literally all of that. Oh, that's, and I'm sure that everybody incredible. everywhere has had ferrets named Kodo and Podo, because why not? <laughs> Also, if, you, if you're a fan of that movie, the tiger's name is Bru, which almost sounds like the chuff that a tiger makes. That's incredible. I love that. That's so great. <laughs> um, so tell me about your tigers. Okay, so uh, we have uh, two, um, I guess you would almost consider them adult because they're about two and a half years old. Okay. So between two and three, about two years old, they would have left their mom in the wild. About three, maybe, have their first litter. Um they're sisters. Um, their names are Rika and Zaya, and they were born here um, at the Beardsley Zoo. And unfortunately, their mom did not want to be a mom. So she was an older female. It was her first time later. She was about 10 years old. Um, and she just completely neglected them. So um, when we pulled these two, and they were, they were born about 12 hours apart, which is very unusual. Um, usually it's... it's, it's done in a, a much shorter span of time uh, they were hypothermic uh, she hadn't let them nurse um, they hadn't she hadn't shown any maternal care towards them whatsoever mm -hmm. um, so we decided to hand raise these and, and with hand raising both sets of cats we've been 
lucky enough that they've had a sibling. So that way um, they can identify themselves as a tiger. So we only go in to feed and clean and then and then we leave because we don't want them to be too, we don't want them to identify as a, as a person. Right. Because right. that could lead to issues with um, breeding and whatnot later on. And, and hand-raised tigers, I guess, can do okay being moms. Um, hand-raised amur leopards, um, females generally tend to not be good moms. So once you start the hand-raising cycle, there's a chance that you perpetuate it. So before we pulled and hand-raised these two, um, we did check with you know the SSP, the FILA tag, our vet staff, and everything to see should they stay with mom or should we take the risk. Right. What was what was very interesting about the hand-raising the Amur tiger cubs, um, I'd never done anything like that before, but it, it garnered national and international media attention to the point where we were able to um, get feedback through the various zoos, almost to the grandparents and great-grandparents of of these cubs. Wow. So we, I think we found out about like five or six of the great grandparents, you know, which, which zoo from Russia they came from. Like these cubs, um, maternal grandmother was born at the Leipzig Zoo in Germany. You know, uh, their mother and father were from Pittsburgh and Philly. So we're not even sure how they got along well enough to breed. Because <laughs> from what I understand about Pittsburgh and Philly, that's like the, the streams don't cross. Oh no, no, exactly. You are correct. You are correct, sir. Yeah. So that's, I think it's because he spent a little bit of time in uh, in Indianapolis, so maybe he forgot his roots. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, what were the, the Cubs' names? The Cubs are Rika and Zaya. Rika and Zaya. So okay, Rika cool. is uh, Russian for river, okay. I believe. Don't fault me for my pronunciation. Um, and Zaya is a tributary of the Amur River. Okay, nice. Um, the Amur River in China is known as the Black Dragon River, and if I could speak any amount of Chinese... There would be a tiger named the Black Dragon. <laughs> tiger, but I, I honestly can't. Um, and then the, the names for our Amur Leopard Cubs were chosen because if, if you haven't seen the, the footage, our Amelanistic female, Callisto, is missing her tail. And that was, mm. that was part of the reason that we hand-raised her. So she actually looks like a little bear. So we were trying to find all different bear um, things. And, and if you... Uh, if you spend a lot of late nights on Wikipedia with adult beverages, <laughs> you can find different things. So it turns out we were trying to find, you know, relations because Freya is obviously a Norse goddess. So we're trying to, I was trying to do something like that. But um, Callisto is actually the name of uh, Ursa Major, um, which is where the Big Dipper's from, right, or, the, right. or the Big Bear in the sky. Sure. Um, so that's her actual name, the name of the nymph that Zeus put up into the sky. The most ironic part, and I didn't realize this until we did a presentation, is that the big bear, the big bear and little bear, have long tails, and she does not. So I felt a little bad <laughs> when I was doing a presentation. I'm like, oh no, why does this bear have a tail like a squirrel? But it, it was the Greeks. I don't know how to tell you. And then Orion is named after the um, the constellation Orion, who, depending whom you ask, there was something with one of the goddesses was associated with um, bears as well. I believe it was uh, Artemis was associated with bears and he was either her boyfriend or not and they got into a beef and I don't know, there's all kinds of 700 stories for each one of the sure. myths. So we chose those names because I mean... No, that's great. Know, that makes a lot of sense. And we picked the hard spelling because we can, so it's Callisto with a K. Okay, okay, nice. 
Got to keep it fresh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so big cats are protected contact, right? Yes. And what does that mean? So we are never in these, the same space with them. So there is always some form of physical barrier between us and them. And then we've had to take that a step further with the pandemic because as we all found out, cats are susceptible to COVID. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to, you know, maintain our proper social distance from, from them as well. How are you able to bond with, form a relationship with, fall in love with, whatever term you want to use, um, animals that you can't, you know, cuddle for the average listener who, who plays with their dog or, or, or cat or whatever. How do you build that relationship when you can't touch them? Well, with, Four out of five of the big cats that we have here, we had an unfair advantage in that in that there were a group of us that were mom. Sure. So as far as they've we've always been there, so they've never had they've never had a a, a poor interaction with a person. Right. Uh, they've never had had to be unnecessarily fearful of a person or anything like that. So so we got a head start with that. But with some of the other animals that we have, like uh, their mother Freya, who came to us from Copenhagen, where it seemed like they were a little bit more hands off. So she is the closest thing to a wild leopard that I would probably actually work with. Um, and she is hands down the most dangerous animal in the zoo. Um, wow. It's, it's just, you go very slowly and, and at, and at your different pace and, and, um, bribery okay. really helps. Mm -hmm. So the, the food rewards and then, and then consistency. And then they see you every day. And some, some people get along with some animals really well. And sometimes that bond just never, never forms. Right. Because it's very, very, some animals are very, very uh, people specific. Uh, the tiger cubs, or the tigers now, they're not cubs anymore. Um, their mom was very, very species specific. And fortunately, she, like me, very much, she came around to me first. She's very, she was very, very nervous, aggressive, mm -hmm. um, fearful of new things no matter what. But she slowly came around and then she would, she would actively chuff at me and then eventually, um, she was okay with Bethany and, and maybe one or two other people on staff, but there were some people on staff that <clears throat> if they had to cover the area, it, it was, it was very, very tough for them right. to go and, um, but yet to, to form the bond, it's, it's a lot of positive interactions. It's making sure that the interactions are always, are always positive. Um, you never want to end on a, a bad note. So we're fortunate to be able to do, um, husbandry training with these guys and mm -hmm. one of the biggest things is uh injection training because okay. all animals know what a blowpipe is or, or what a what a, a rifle is right um they seem to inherently know and if you can train them to put their shoulder up or or their hip up and, and you can do the injection um so we do that and we, we practice pretty much the whole the whole event starting with something very dull and soft and touching and and eventually we can we can get to the point where we can use a, a needle mm -hmm. and then you um, introduce them to the needle once and then it's all their treats. You give them a big jackpot reward. So that way it's not every time. Right, right, and then right. you can even go, if the animal's particularly nervous, you can even practice with like a saline solution or something too. So that way they get used to the feeling of, of a cold something going into their, into their body. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, always end on a positive note and always just try to, you know, if, if you see them and they're having a good time and you can encourage that. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. And do you fall in love with them? Do you feel a connection to them? Like, what would you describe your relationship with to the cats? I mean, for, for most of them, it's pretty good. Um, just like people, you have your days where you could have an animal that is absolutely stellar and knows what they're doing, and then one day they decide that they don't want to, so you get a little a little aggravated at, at that. 
Um, it's it's a weird business because you almost think of them, or I almost think of them as co-workers up until there's something wrong with them or they have to leave. And then it's almost like I compartmentalize. So now they become like office equipment. Right. Um, so, oh, well, this, this animal's got to uh, go to another facility. So you kind of, this is part of what we do and this is why we do and how we do. So you're used to it. Um, that being said, I've never actually had an animal leave that I've helped hand raise. Mm -hmm. So that feeling may be different. Right, I can understand that. Because there's a little bit more of a connection with, with the hand raised ones. Right, no, that totally makes sense. Um, so when that happens, I can probably answer the question better. But for right. the most part, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at the understanding these animals have to have to go or it's, or it's unfortunately their time. Sure. sure. No, makes sense. Um, one last question before uh, we end here. Do you have any just in general touching, funny, goofy stories that you want to share about any of the animals that you've taken care of? I think the only, we had tigers um, a long time ago before these guys were born and we had, uh, we had a new male come in into the holding. We we're trying to get them and the female that we had at the time who was, I think it was, uh, it was either Nika or Kushka. Um, she had access to the holding so she could come and go where she felt more comfortable. And I was in the holding with her. We'd just gotten the mail in. He's making all this noise. And she kind of slinked into the holding, kind of chuffed at me and sat down and looked where the mail was next to me. And then, and then kind of went out, kind of like she was saying, hey, you're here, so it must be okay. That's awesome. So that was pretty cool. Oh, that's really sweet. I love that. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks. This was, this was really good and really informative. Thank you. So um, tell me a little bit about who you are and where we are and what you do. Well, my name is Bethany, and I'm a carnivore keeper here at Connecticut Spiridley Zoo, which is Connecticut's only AZA-accredited zoo. Okay, sure. There are two AZA aquariums here, and so they, the official title they give us is Animal Care Specialist, and it's the same thing as a zookeeper. They just change our title every couple of years just to make us sound more official, go along with animal welfare standards, right. make people kind of understand we are specialists. We're not just people that pick up poop every day. <laughs> Um, I mean, Although do, you're also people that pick up a lot of we poop. We do that. We, we do do that, as we like to say. Oh. oh um, but that's not all we do. So, of course, we're responsible for taking care of their basic needs, like feeding and cleaning up after them. But people don't realize that we also do a lot of training. I heard Chris talking to you a little bit about training. Um, that's kind of my specialty. That's what I really love doing. Okay. Um, that's I love helping people with training their animals. I love training the animals. It's my favorite part of my job. It's that connection you were talking about. That's how you can really feel that connection with an animal that you can't touch. They know you have their food, and you can kind of communicate with them that way using subtle cues. Okay, you're getting toward what I want. Here's some food. Right. And so food to them means great job. <laughs> and we use a bridge to indicate great job, too. So I say good. Okay. Um, just like if you see you know, a, a show going on at a, an aquarium, you'll hear a whistle or you hear them saying good all the time. Right. That means you've done what I want right now. That's the bridge. You're getting food. Okay. Um, so we do that with our cats, even though we're pretty much right there, able to put the food in their mouth sure. through the fence. Of course. Of course. Um, we tell them good so that they know, like, the tigers are trained for uh, accepting ear ointment on their ears right. so that the biting flies don't chew them up. And so I tell them good as soon as that stick touches their ear because they don't like it. They don't like to have their ears messed mm -hmm. with, but... We raise these guys, so they're very tolerant of us messing with them. Right. But I haven't had a tiger here that I couldn't get ointment on their ears, even though they don't like it at first. 
we just teach them, hey, if you just cooperate with us for a little bit, you're going to get a great big treat for it. Right. And, you know, hold the food, get their attention. Good. And shove it in their mouth. <laughs> that's so cool. Uh, so that's how we can build relationships with animals we can't touch. So if you think of your dog and cat at home, cats especially really love you because you feed them. Mm -hmm. But they also like the, the contact, the connection. We don't have that with our big cats. We... We see them every day. We interact with them through the fence, but we don't pet them. We don't hang out with them for as long as you hang out with your pets. It's, you know, really just a couple minutes. How are you doing? Here's your food. I got to go do the next thing. Right. So training is a big part of our job. We also make the diets here. If you're at bigger zoos, usually they have commissary keepers. Mm -hmm. And those people make the diets for the entire zoo or for an entire section, depending on how big the zoo is. We make diets for each section ourselves. And I like making the food, so I'm glad we do that. We may change someday so that we're having people that just do that during the summer when we actually had interns. <laughs> Those were the glory days. Interns, we miss you. Um, but they would make our diets for us, which is really great. Um, it's a good experience for them so they know how to do it if they go to another zoo. They know how crazy we can be. Like, I don't like the beef chunks cut that way. I like it cut this way. I like more of the fat cut off of it. I like my fish cut in half. You know, like, right. so you... <clears throat> You learn that each person likes different things, and each animal might eat better if you do it a certain way. I think that's a good good preparation for them to get into their future. What do you feed um, specifically? Uh, this this interview is going to be focused more on the the leopards and the tigers. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm open that's to any all cool anyone stories. ever cares about. Or we have the cutest white nape crane ever, right back there. Oh, I'm back. I'll come back for it. <laughs> I will. I will do an interview about every animal in this zoo. Trust okay, me. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> But I'm just, I'm really curious, uh, what exactly do you feed them? Because they're pure carnivores, right? Yes, they are. They're okay. obligate carnivores. Okay. It means they can't digest anything besides meat. Um, so sometimes we do give them produce to play with. Okay. The leopard cubs especially, they're funny because sometimes they completely ignore produce. Sometimes they eat the entire thing. <laughs> so I gave them apples a couple of weeks ago. They each ate an apple. Okay. Why? We don't know. Interesting. But the poop was very exciting. <laughs> like, what the heck did you, oh, right, you ate apples. There's applesauce everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. Um, sometimes they'll eat sweet potatoes. Um, so normally stuff like that is just to shred up. Uh, if they do eat it, it just comes right out the way it went in. So okay. they have to eat meat in order to get any nutrients. So the main diet that we feed our big cats is a brand called Nebraska. It's very popular in American zoos. And it's just feline classic is what we feed. They make premium, which I always thought was higher calorie, but our vet looked into it and it's not higher calorie. I don't really understand the difference now. They do prefer it over the regular. Okay. I don't know why. <laughs> And then there's canine diet for the, the wolves and the foxes and bird of prey diet for the birds of prey. So they have these little varieties for the different animals. But their main diet is the Nebraska Feline Classic. And then we use chunks of beef, turkey, chicken, horse meat, just as little treats right. um, to help keep their attention. So we use feline for training and we also have treats mixed in. So variety is the spice of life. Variety keeps your training session interesting. I don't know if I'm getting a meatball or a chunk of horse meat. So right. I'm going to keep paying attention because something extra good might be coming. So I usually don't save those extra special treats for a specific, like, oh, that was really good. Here, have a better thing. Mm -hmm. It's just like a variety. They never know what okay. they're going to get. That's really cool. Um, they'll also get things like um, rabbits, whole, whole rabbits. The rabbits we get in are a little bit big for our leopards. They'd be really obese if they ate an entire <laughs> five-pound rabbit because their diet is only about two pounds a day. Uh, so the tigers will get a five-pound rabbit once in a while wow. each, and the leopards will just cut, like, the, the amount that they get fed, we cut that off the rabbit. Or we'll give them deer legs. We have hunters in the area during deer season. They 
they uh, hunt too many deer, they don't want all the meat, so they'll donate meat to us, or they'll donate a whole deer, and we take care of it ourselves. Oh, wow. Give out legs, and, like, if a tiger gets a whole deer leg, they're pretty happy for a while. <laughs> um, so they may finish that whole thing, and if they do, we may cut back on their diet the next day, but we don't like to short them on food because it could make them aggressive. Right. Um, but we don't want them to get fat either. So things like that are, like, a special treat. But the fur and bone is good for them, so we try to give it to them as much as we can. With the rabbits, sometimes they eat the entire thing. Usually the tigers leave the front teeth of the <laughs> rabbit, which is really weird. Sometimes they leave a pile of intestines for us. Sometimes they finger paint with it. <laughs> um, but uh, some, usually they'll just eat the whole thing, organs and all, which is really good for them if they'll eat right. it all. So we That's like to give them that stuff once in a while. But the Nebraska Classic is a complete diet. Okay. If they just eat that, they're fine. Right. But all the other stuff is... I'm going to make it a little more interesting. Uh, we never feed them live prey okay. unless it's feeder fish or something that can't possibly hurt them or crickets. Because, <laughs> like, if we put mice out or something live, for one thing, they might get away and start reproducing like crazy. Right. We don't need that. For another thing, if it bites a tiger, yeah, it's not going to kill the tiger, but it could get infected. We don't want to deal with that. Right. So, I don't know if you ever watch nature shows, but a lot of those animals have wounds from their prey. Mm -hmm. And even though it's a tiger hunting a deer, they could get kicked by it and have a serious injury from it. So we want to avoid even the smallest injury if we can, because in the wild, no one has to treat those injuries in the zoo. We have to make sure they're healthy. Right. So we don't want to deal with it. <laughs> no, it makes sense. I know that even for um, a lot of uh, reptile pets, mm -hmm. um, I always recommend uh, doing dubia roaches instead of... Um, uh, crickets when yeah. they're when they're legal. Yeah, crickets are nasty. Illegal. I've seen snakes with bad mouse bites. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's prey injured it, but you know, yeah, what no. do you expect it to do? Yeah, makes sense. Um, so we want to make sure, you know, for their welfare, make sure that there's we're not introducing anything to them that could hurt them if we can help it. Of course, things happen, just like with your kids. You know, things can happen, but we don't want to increase the chances of something happening. Right. So I always say that to people too when they say how could you work at a zoo? It's awful. They should be in the wild. They should have more space. And I say, do you watch nature shows? Do you see those poor animals? Yeah, they have a lot of space, but there's flies all over them. They have wounds that they might not recover from. They might be starving to death. They might get kicked out of their family and die. You know, like, so there are benefits to each life, mm -hmm. <laughs> each lifestyle. But if I had to choose and I was an animal, I'd much rather live in a nice zoo instead of no, definitely. I mean, we're sitting here with the uh, the Amber Leopard Cubs right now, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have made it no. in the wild. No. Like, not a chance. No, nope, so... but the way that works in the wild is, oops, my cubs are gone. Hey, I'm in heat again. Yep. Looking for a male again. Right. So that's the circle of life. That's how that works. But when you're critically endangered, that's not really... We don't want to see that happen. We want to, you know, save as many as we can. And hopefully... I'm not sure if Callisto, our melanistic cub, will get a chance to breed because she's yeah. melanistic. But hopefully Orion will make a good dad someday. And hand-raising didn't affect him adversely. <laughs> but we'll see. Same thing with Rika and Zaya, our tiger cubs. We hand-raised those right. cubs two and a half years ago. Um, and if they can move on to another zoo through the field tag and find a boyfriend and raise cubs on their own, that is that will be the hugest success story and my life will be complete. Because <laughs> now, yes, raising those cubs was freaking amazing and i loved every well almost every minute of it <laughs> <laughs> it's very stressful i'm sure um, but if they can go on and be productive members of society then that's great you know they don't have to be our little babies forever <laughs>
you're literally every parent talking about their kid ever. And yeah, I love pretty that. much, except our kids grow up a lot faster, right. and then they're big enough and mean enough that they want to kill you. <laughs> so, I mean, to be fair, that happens with some humans, too. Well, true. <laughs> One, another reason why I don't have kids. <laughs> but, yeah, it's in their nature to attack things that are made of meat, so yeah. we stay away from them, even though we raised them. Makes sense. Yep. So, I'm curious. Um, we talked a little bit about, um, in both the last interview and this one, about how you can like relate to the tigers make the tigers like you mm -hmm. and as far as tricking them with food goes and stuff or, yeah. or the leopards you know but how do you connect and i know it's a little different when you hand raise them mm -hmm. but it's a lot different just in general like if you know i know there's there's some species here some of the um sorry not species some individuals here mm -hmm. that haven't hand raised and stuff right how do you connect emotionally with an animal that you can't get your hands on and you can't <laughs> get you know because i can tell you love them Oh, like definitely. this is ridiculous how, how yeah. much I can tell you just love them. Which yeah, is great, well, and that's another thing we like to convey to our guests, not to go back to the anti captivity thing, but oh, when people me, say, Yeah, when people say, How can you do this? I love them. Mm -hmm. If they weren't treated well, I would do everything in my power to make sure they were treated well, and then I would leave. Right. You know, I wouldn't work here because I love them so mm -hmm. much, and we've dedicated our lives to make very little money. You know, we're educated, we make mm -hmm. not that much money, we can make a lot more as a plumber or something. And, uh, we do it because we love the animals and we love to educate people about them. But to answer your question, a good example would be Freya, the mom of these leopard cubs. She came to us from Copenhagen Zoo with no training at all. Hated people. You know, pretty much most, a lot of European zoos are pretty hands-off. They don't do as much operant conditioning. Those two, I believe, her and her brother were surplus animals. So they weren't planning on keeping them. If they didn't find homes for them, they likely would have been euthanized. Because they let them breed naturally. They have a much higher success rate of breeding because they let them breed when they're ready to breed. And if there's no space for them, they euthanize them. Wow, I did not know that was Yeah, it's it's huh. common in Europe. It's not at all common here. Right. And I think it's just people are different. Huh? And not all European zoos do that either. But um, it's pretty common over there. And they're much better at breeding than we are. But when I went to the Philotag meetings, they were talking about how they just they have too many animals. And there's not enough space to put them. Wow. We kind of have that problem here, too, which is why we're so limited on breeding is there's not enough space to hold the animals that we need to have a viable population. Right. So, you know, there's about 200 Amur leopards under human care worldwide, and there's just not enough space to keep more. Right. Um, so we'll keep them past breeding age. Again, some zoos won't. Mm -hmm. Once they're not useful anymore, they might be euthanized. We don't do that because we have that emotional connection with them, and we don't want to see that happen. Our visitors would not understand so we only would euthanize an animal if it's for their welfare, so right. if they're suffering. Right. And that's determined by our team of vets. Which makes sense. I, I, um, I, I made this joke in another podcast. It wasn't a joke. It, just, it cracked me up and I started to say it. But I'm very pro-euthanasia. Yeah. And that sounds like the dumbest thing when you say yeah. it. I'm pro, you know. When it's, when when it's, it's properly yeah. done and when it's for the right reasons, I, yes. I think it's incredible. And yep. I think... Um, making that choice and figuring that out yeah, i mean that takes tough. a strength that is when well, we have tough. questionnaires that we fill out um so that we can be objective and i even use those questionnaires for my pets at home mm -hmm. i i'm a big rodent lover i've had pet rats for a long time and they have a lifespan of about two to three mm -hmm. years and so when they get toward the end of their life you know i love them but you know well they're still eating and i don't know so you you break it down into this questionnaire and you rate every little thing and then you get a score you know, it just makes it much easier. And so in the zoo setting, anyone who has any contact with the animal would fill out that questionnaire. That staff fills it out. They assess the health of the animal. We assess the behavior of the animal. And it's a decision made by everybody. Right. 
with, of course, management and vet staff having more say than the keepers, but they definitely listen to us. Um, so if we think, no, you know, I, I really think we can't really say this animal's happy because we don't know, but we think she's happy. Right. You know? So, And we know when it's time because it's sometimes just the kindest decision. Um, but I'm sorry, to answer your question, which is, no, how, is no, how to build a relationship with your animal. That everything that you're yeah. saying is honestly incredible. <laughs> you're going to have a lot of editing podcast. to do. Um. No, most of this will be in because it's incredible. Seriously, this is exactly what I'm looking for. Right. I love... Look, so I work in the arts. I'm a professional musician. Mm -hmm. Okay, And it sucks a lot of the yeah. time. I'm on tour all the Our time. Our job too. I make, <laughs> you know, and I make a lot less money than I should yep. where I'm at in my world and yep. stuff and all that stuff, all that stuff. But I'm so passionate about what I do. Right. And I so love it. And that's when I, when I first started talking to keepers just mm -hmm. from visiting zoos, I saw that passion and I yeah. would, you know, I'd ask, oh, hey, what's your animal's name? And 10 minutes later, I hadn't gotten a word in, you know. Yeah. And, um, well, as soon as we see someone that's interested, it goes like this, like, oh, you want to hear more? Okay, right. let me yeah. tell you everything I know. <laughs> and I've had so many experiences where I've been taken behind the scenes yeah. or like when I've done a behind the scenes experience, gotten to do more than you're supposed to yeah. because they can tell that I'm passionate too. Right. And, and that's also, what led me to this. There's the crazy factor also. So if people have the crazy eyes or they're asking questions where we're like, mm, like, can I touch it? No, you can't. Right. And goodbye. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so but, we have that sense as to who we trust. Yeah, and, makes sense. And, you know, who's passionate about it. So mm -hmm. even even if someone is a little bit crazy, we try to kind of shape them in the right direction, <laughs> but we might not let them get closer to our animals. Right. And, of course, now with COVID, it's, oh, it's very, insane. very strict. Yeah. But, no, but everything you're saying, like, you keep apologizing, but it's literally <laughs> why I do this I podcast. ramble so bad, though. It's I'm ridiculous. all about it because I love listening. <laughs> but anyway, back to Freya. I really do want to tell you about her. So she came to us from Copenhagen yep. with no previous opera and conditioning experience. They actually took a video of when they darted her and her brother Oscar, who's now at San Diego Zoo. Um, they darted them to ship them here. And they were pissed. Like, they wanted nothing to do with anybody. All they knew was, you know, this is where I live. This is where my food is. Right. And what the hell is going on? They got darted, put in crates put on a plane, and I think three full days later, we're unloaded here. Because wow. it takes a long time to get everything, you know, transported and all this stuff. And uh, she took, I think, a solid week before we saw her out of her crate and a couple of days before we knew she was coming out. So we would shut it, put food in, open it back up again, and leave. Eventually, the food was going missing, and the poop <laughs> was appearing right, <laughs> so we're like right. okay she's alive in there but we really <laughs> didn't see her and little by little i remember the first time that her brother oscar took food from my hand which is again before she's even coming out of her crate but that it was magical you know this animal i don't even know this extremely rare animal from europe great for our genetic population right. and he just took food from my hand like it was amazing and so with her it took a lot longer um but you have to think of what your animal wants. So she didn't want food from us. She wanted us to leave her the hell alone. Right. So I would kind of look out of the side of my eye and see, like, oh, she's looking. Okay, bye. You know, like, <laughs> so when she was looking at me and calm, I'd back off and leave. And that's all she wanted. Right. And eventually I could toss a chunk of meat in and leave. And that's all they want is leave me alone and don't push it because right. that's my problem a lot of the time is I love them so much that I spend too much time trying to call them and get them to come over sure. and they're like well, what the hell is wrong with you I don't want you here I don't care if you have me I don't care um so with her and her brother we were able we I I did it I <laughs> injection trained them within two weeks when they needed their distemper vaccines uh so in Europe they were darted with them um and then 
when they came here, they got darted again when they needed the boosters. They'd never gotten distemper or rabies vaccines yeah. over there. And for their final set of boosters, they were injection trained. So that was pretty amazing to me that they wouldn't even take food from our hand. And then we got them to line up against the fence and let us inject them with their last round of vaccines. Because, boy, do they hate the dart. Yeah, I bet. That's incredible. (laughs) I can't even imagine getting hit with one of those because the needle is big. Uh You have to have a lot of force behind it or it won't go in. And sometimes you hit them, it doesn't discharge. You have to hit them again. Uh And their adrenaline goes up. So having them injection trained is also really great for uh, knockdowns or physicals. We have to inject them with things like ketamine, telazole, things to get them to go to sleep so it's safe to handle them. If you dart an animal and their adrenaline goes through the roof, they may not go under. Right. And so that's a lot of times people ask, like, oh, and that tiger got out at that zoo that time. Why didn't they just dart it? Why did they shoot it? It's because if it's going for a crowd of people and you dart it, you have a solid 10, 15, 20 minutes before it might fall asleep. Right. If people are in danger and its adrenaline is up, it's people are going to die. So yeah. unfortunately, that's the call they make a lot of times. But anyway, I like watching my animals because I've been here for a long time back when they none of them were injection trained. And I saw them get darted, and I saw how long it would take. And we had a bear one time that just wouldn't go under, and we had to not do the knockdown. Wow. She just, she was jumping up and down. She was very upset. And we just said, okay, that's enough. I'm not right. going to bother her anymore. And then I injection trained her because it's like, why are we doing this? Our otter that we used to have broke a tooth on a dart. Because, you know, they whip around and bite it. Mm-hmm. And that's not only expensive. You know, darts aren't cheap. Um, but he broke a tooth. And so at that moment, I was like, well, we're not ever darting him again. We're we're going to injection train them. So that's one of the most important things that we do. And that's one of the most important ways to use our relationship is, you know, okay, if you hold still, this is going to hurt a little bit, but you're going to get a lot of food for it. Right. Um, so I just, it is possible if you know what your animals want, the female tiger that we had, that was, she's their mom, mm-hmm. Regan Zaya's mom. Her name is Ting Bai. And Chris I'm actually, sorry, Chang Bai. Chang Bai, okay. Yeah, it's the name of a preserve in China cool. where they're found. Um, so she came to us from the Philly Zoo and... She was extremely, extremely shy. She didn't want to come near us, didn't want anything. But Chris was so much more low-key about trying to get her to like him that she liked him way better. Right. And I was like, hey, Chang, hey, 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 look at me, I have your food. And she's like, oh, what is wrong with you? Get out of here. So he had a much better relationship with her, and it took me a longer time to realize my technique isn't working. I need to, like, scale it back a little bit. So they're all different, but if you figure out what they want then you can build a good relationship with them. Cats are rough, though. You know, you never know what they want. And sometimes they just want their door open. They just want to go outside Mm -hmm. or come inside or have the option. They just want it open so they can think about, I want to lay in the doorway. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're cats. That's awesome. Um, Are there any other animals that you you take care of? Yeah, so Chris and I both take care of the big cats as well as the wetlands area. Mm -hmm. So we have a sandhill crane, a white nape crane, bald eagle, alligators. Alligators are also some of my favorites. I like those big, dangerous animals. Nice. And then we have the wetland aviary here with ducks and a heron. Okay, cool. Very yep. cool. Yeah, um, so there's a little variety for us. That's oh, awesome. and turtles, of course, turtles. Always turtles. So um, I'm just curious, just in general, do you have any other funny or touching or just any stories that you want to tell? Well, you know, when you ask us this question, it's too hard to answer it. <laughs> I do. No, I think maybe one of the most magical moments that I had working here was, um, so I started working here as a farmyard keeper because okay. that's the job that you can get when you're a new keeper. Yep. They don't normally start you with carnivores, but I've always loved big cats. So you know, I got myself into the farmyard and was just ready for someone to leave and hoping I could worm my way into big cats. So I switched from farmyard to predators and we had a pregnant tiger 
and we had the camera set up, but we could only view them from a monitor in the building. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like now where you can look on your phone or your no. computer. Like, it's insane to me what we can do now. But I walked in the holding on a Friday, peeked at the monitor and saw babies. And it was just like, oh, my God, she had her babies. And it's on a Friday and I'm here and I see them and they're great. And she raised them. She lost one um, who wasn't fully formed. So mm-hmm. I had no chance. But she raised three. That's and amazing. It, that was really, really cool. Um, and then, of course, raising these cubs. There's really no words for it. I don't know how people, some people like at the Cincinnati Zoo, that's their job is to just take care of babies, mm-hmm. which sounds amazing, but I don't know how they do it. It's a lot of work. I believe it, yeah. And it's very stressful, and it's it's a delicate balance between you know, showing people because that's what we're here for is to show people, but also keep them safe, give them their privacy, don't let them get sick. But, you know, it's, it's all well worth it. But we always hope that mom will do it herself because right. it's just better for everybody. But the experience that we had, especially with the tigers, they're just such different animals than the leopards. The leopards are very high strung, very, I don't want to say high anxiety, but they make me have high anxiety because they're just vibrating all the time. Like, really up here tigers are more mellow so they were really fun to work with really fun to raise they're still a lot of work but right. the leopards would just when they're like 20 pounds you'd walk in with them and they just jump up and you know bite my fat roll back here and just like pull my pants off i'm like guys the cameras are on can you not so, you know and the tigers would sometimes jump on us but the leopards it was really just, I'm going to jump on you as high as I can and hold on for dear life. And that's just, they're climbers. That's what they wanted to do. That's amazing. So, it's so that great. was, it was really rough. <laughs> but yeah, and Chris, I'm surprised he didn't tell you about how he used to leave us notes. That blood on the, the daily log sheet is mine, not theirs. <laughs> the blood on the blanket is mine, not theirs. Because he was always bleeding from them. I hardly ever was. <laughs> He's just so sensitive. That's so but, yeah, they're wild animals for sure that's amazing <laughs> yeah no they're that. awesome but ugh, i'm happy that we have no no breeding pairs in our section right now because i don't want to deal with it again as much fun as it is i'm done with that sure. yeah but same thing you know with otters i've had the same experiences i've hand raised some i've had the mom raise them and it's really like the reproduction is really amazing and the more i learn about stuff it's just there's always stuff to learn yeah i mean that's why we're here you know keep them going and keep people loving them hopefully mm-hmm. Not giving us a hard time for keeping them in these tiny cages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like I said, that has come up a lot. And even just with my Instagram, people mm-hmm. constantly message me and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm here to defend it and I understand it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hope, especially hearing the passion that you have for these guys, that, that yeah, people will, will shut well, up. I mean, if people <laughs> listen to it just to hate it, they're going to hate it. Yeah. You course. know, and that's just, you're not going to change anything. their mind and that's, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. But I was on, um, the Facebook group Zoo Creepers okay. right on there. No. Um, they did a thing where they had people post the same picture, but with different, um, I don't know if it's different contrast or what, I don't do stuff, I don't know. <laughs> but they posted the same picture, and in one picture the animal looks happy, the other one it looks sad. Right. It's in the same enclosure, uh-huh. same animal, same picture, uh-huh. you know, or maybe a slightly different uh, position or something right. but now it's sad mm-hmm. you know and it's just it just depends on what you're looking for and what you want to see of course yep but and that's why i think education is so important too because yeah. like i know um you know one time i was at an aquarium mm-hmm. and i was uh, watching the sea turtle just in my zone of course this lady you were. Walks up to me. turtle lover <laughs> but and this lady walks up to me and she goes this is 
so wrong. And I was like, okay, let's go. And yeah. I was like, what, what's wrong about it, man? And she's like, uh, you know, it needs a friend. <laughs> and I was like, it's a sea turtle. And she's like, exactly. And I was like, I've seen them on cartoons and they like to have friends. Right. And I was like, I was like, man, <laughs> they don't, they don't. Do. And then sometimes what I find myself doing is if I hear people at an exhibit saying something like mm -hmm. that, where they're not talking to me, mm -hmm. I will walk up and I will be by myself and I will walk up mm -hmm. and I'll be like, oh, huh. Sea turtles. I'm trying to remember. These guys are solitary, right? <laughs> yeah. Solitary animals yeah. and walk away. And nice. I know it's obvious and I know it's. Well, pathetic, they're more likely to help. listen to you because you don't work there. You know, and because you're just, just a guest, just mm -hmm. a visitor, you're there and you're like, oh yeah, they're solitary. And then they think, oh, well, you have no agenda. Yeah. What are you telling That's me this for? It's the same thing with the tigers, you know, when they'll, you know, they'll roar to call out their territory. <laughs> with the girls will do it because they're in heat and they <laughs> want to know if there's any men around. And people hear that and they say, oh, they sound so sad. Because it's like, mm. you know, and it sounds sad. Yeah. But they're not sad. That's just how they are. That's how they sound. And when the leopards call, it sounds crazy. You'll have to find find a recording and put it in your podcast. Um, but it sounds similar to like a handsaw sawing wood. Oh, wow. But people look at them and say, oh, they're about to throw up. Oh, that's awful. They're about to throw up. And no, they're not. That's the noise they make. That's what they're doing. But, the, you know, they'll sit there and make the sound and people just don't right. know. And, and also, even if they are going to throw up, yeah, I mean, is, <laughs> are you a bad parent if your kid throws right. up? Like, it just, it doesn't yeah. track. No, people but people see, yeah. they pick on the one little thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people come to zoos if they're picking on the one little thing. But Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, I'm going to pay money yeah. to you so that I can see how badly you treat mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and I, I never got that. Yeah, most oh. of our visitors really, I you know, I overhear them talking about how <laughs> nice it is. And, yeah. You know, back... This zoo is a very old zoo. We're approaching our 100th year. Wow. And so, you know, back when it started, there were small cages. Sure. And it was P.T. Barnum's menagerie. Sure. And, you know, there's a lot of history here. And, yeah, we keep getting better. And so people come. I just heard people today saying they haven't been here in about 20 years and they can't believe it's the same place. The tiger exhibit is the same exhibit that's been here this whole time. Right. But just the way it's presented, the plants in the exhibit, the enrichment that's out, the tigers hopefully aren't pacing, but sometimes they do anyway. Usually they're just laying by their pool or chilling or, you know, doing whatever. Happy, content animals. They yeah. seem to be. And if they weren't, I'd be doing everything I could to change it. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, it really makes me happy. And in recent months, not so much after COVID, but before we shut down, people were coming up to us. I think it's mostly last summer I'm thinking of it. People would come up to us and thank us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for doing what you do for the animals. And I don't know if it's all the zoo shows that are out now. Right. Or what's making people think about it, but they see... They see us as people who care about the animals instead of just some worker that's here to shovel shit. Right. You know, because that's not all we're doing. Yes, that's part of the job, but that's not the most important part of the job mm -hmm. by any means. So it's just really nice to see people's changing opinions. Glad that you're hearing a lot of more positive stuff, though, yeah. because there's so much good here. I well, mean, yeah, now people are mostly just thanking us for being open because right. they're well, so happy right. to be out of the house yeah. and doing something, and they thank us for keeping it clean. And mm -hmm. So now they're more focused on how we're making it for them right. instead of how the animals are, but, but whatever, as long as they're having zoo. a good time. It is such a good zoo, and it's so try. obvious it's how, a nice, how cared for the animals nice are. Nice size, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of small zoos. Yeah, yeah, me too. Really I like working at a small zoo. I was the same way when I was picking a college. I picked a small college. I like, you know, a small community. We're mm -hmm. all family. If, you know, just recently one of the zookeepers lost her cat suddenly at home. 
and we all like chipped in to pay for a necropsy, which is like the funniest thing. You know, you're a zookeeper when you all chip <laughs> in to pay for your friend's cat's necropsy so you can yeah. find out why it died. But like, it's just stuff like that. Like, oh my God, you're sad. How can we help you? Right. What can we do for you? And it's just, it's a really great community. And even, you know, nationwide zookeepers will be like, Hey, I have a friend whose kid is sick. Can people post pictures of this certain animal that mm. he really likes? And people do it. That's awesome. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, oh, you're a zookeeper and you have a friend that's got a problem. Let's help out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the conferences are great and it's just such a great community. Yeah. But, yeah, I like working at a smaller place where I actually know everyone that works here right. instead of, you know, someplace like the Bronx or San Diego or Zoo Miami where, you know, there's so many people that work there. You don't even know everyone. Right. So, no, I makes like sense. It. That's really cool. Yeah, I love the, the zoo community in general has been incredible. Yeah. Um, even just as an interloper, uh, and yeah. like I am, um, the amount of experiences I've had and the, the keepers who have become my friends and have, have mm -hmm. got, you know, I've gotten to meet cool animals and just like, like I said, I have all these cool experiences yeah. that I've had or I'm waiting to have once COVID yeah. is over. Um, <laughs> Just because it's good people. It's yeah. like legitimately really good people. Well, yeah, people who are passionate about their jobs. And again, like they see that you are passionate mm -hmm. and, you know, you're trying to do something good and educate the public and we want to help out and do what we can. Yeah. And I love so, that. We're pretty nice, but, you know, sometimes just super socially awkward, sometimes grumpy, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I don't want to talk to you because you're a human. But yeah. I mean, we'll all, we're okay. we all have yeah. those moments. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much no for problem. doing this. I really yeah. I want to thank everyone at Beardsley Zoo for being such gracious hosts. From the time I pulled in until I left, everyone was so incredibly kind, open, and encouraging to me. I am constantly amazed at how wonderful the zoo community is. If you've been listening to the podcast regularly, you'll know that some animal people are also people people, and some animal people are definitely not people people. With that said, I've yet to meet an animal person who isn't an animal person person. Think about it. It makes sense, I promise. Thanks again to Lisa, Chris, Bethany, and JT at Beardsley Zoo for being such incredible hosts and guests. Remember to check the zoo out on Instagram at C-T-B-E-A-R-D-S-L-E-Y-Z-O-O and online at beardsleyzoo.org. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.